We're going to be in John 10 again, but I want you to open to Isaiah 40, okay? If you'd open to Isaiah 40, we're going to begin there and then move into John 10. We've been talking about this idea of Jesus as the good shepherd, and throughout we've compared ourselves to sheep because the Bible compares us to sheep very frequently, and we've talked about how sheep are, are needy and dependent and defenseless and how they get dirty and uh, we talked about how they're dumb. We talked about how sheep are dumb. And so we may, we may wish the Bible would compare us to perhaps a more impressive animal, like a lion or something, or a stallion. That might be preferable to us in some ways, but by design, God compares us to sheep. We had a conversation a few weeks ago in the Sunday night study in which a few ladies, I think Amy may, may have been one that mentioned this, but the idea of, you know, maybe, maybe God created sheep in the first place because he, he wanted to have an illustration for us, for us to be able to understand what we're like. They're just such a, an apt illustration of how we can so often be. And so throughout Scripture, we have God referred to as a shepherd and us referred to as sheep, and we have many prophecies that include this idea as well. And Isaiah 40 is one of those. And before I read this section in Isaiah 40, we're going to begin in verse 10, but before I read it, I just want to say that sometimes we think about the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. We think of a relationship that's very tender, and it certainly is that. And you may have seen there are some iconic uh, paintings of Jesus with holding a, a little lamb. You maybe have seen one of those. There, there are several of them that are well-known, and you can Google it at some point, and you see a variety of them where it just shows Jesus tending to a sheep or holding a little lamb up to himself, holding it close. And so it can, it can depict that picture of a, of a warmth and, and almost a gentleness and a softness, and it absolutely is that, but that doesn't mean we should take our shepherd as somehow wimpy. <laughs> he is not. And Isaiah 40 is one of the passages that shows us just how strong our shepherd is, just how capable he is. So begin in verse 10 with me. In Isaiah 40, it says, Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. There is that picture of tenderness, right? But keep reading. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance? And the hills and a pair of scales. This is talking about the magnitude of God's creation and God's sovereignty over all. Verse 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who his counselor has informed him? Who has acted as a counselor to God? Who has informed God? And of course the answer is no one. He needs no such counsel. He needs no additional information. He knows everything. Continuing on in verse 14, with whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice? And who taught him knowledge? Who informed him of the way of understanding? Again, no one. God has this within himself. He's always known all things. He is lacking in nothing. Continuing on in verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for the burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and even meaningless. Just to say, even nations, even countries, 
so small to God. The leaders of countries, kings and all sorts of leadership officials around this world, they're nothing to him. He created them. He sustains them every moment. Every moment they're being upheld by the word of his power. And any, any ounce of wisdom or truth or ability they have is all originally from him. One last section of this. Turn ahead to verse 28 there. In my Bible, it's the next page over. Verse 28 through 31. Look what he says here. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles and run and not get tired and walk and not become weary. God gives strength to his people. It's all from him, through him, and to him. And so he is our shepherd. Our shepherd is not a mamby-pamby shepherd, not a milquetoast shepherd, but an omnipotently strong shepherd. So back to John 10 now, as we see Jesus fulfilling this prophecy, shepherding God's people. And we're going to continue looking at these different characteristics of Jesus as the good shepherd this morning. We'll talk about him protecting his sheep, and we see that in verses 11 through 13, mainly by way of contrast. But read verses 11 through 13 with me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So you see here he's talking about a hired hand. and it Literally, it could be translated a wage earner. So, so someone who is just paid to tend to sheep. Someone who doesn't have an intimate relationship with the sheep. We talked about last week how Jesus names his sheep. And it's that picture of intimacy and close care. Hired hand is the opposite. Just there for what's, what's in it for him, for the money. And this, of course, is an illustration of all the false, corrupt leaders that Israel had in their history, wicked kings and false prophets and corrupt priests and pseudo-messiahs all throughout their history. And Jesus is describing them as hired hands, those who don't really care about the people, don't really care about the sheep. They just care about themselves, whether they're in it actually literally for money or whether they're in it for whatever else they can get out of the sheep. And, and sometimes in, in the religious realm, sometimes it's, it's honor itself is like the currency of religion, where it's just passing honor back and forth. Who's the most respected? Who's the highest in terms of the esteem of the people? Those types of things. But hired hands, not really caring, not really intimately acquainted with the sheep, not really having their lives interwoven with the sheep. But Jesus is the opposite of that. Jesus is a protector of his sheep. As we've talked about, sheep have virtually no ability to protect themselves. I read where one described them this way. He said, sheep have no claws, no sharp teeth, no terrible horns. They can't climb trees or squirt mace like a skunk. There's no mighty roar to frighten their enemies and no armored plates. They can't fly away or even get away most of the time. They, they are utterly dependent upon a protector. They need a shepherd who is tireless 
and vigilant watching over them. And Jesus is that shepherd. In contrast to, again, those false teachers, those false leaders, and in contrast, frankly, to every even under-shepherd, even those called to ministry, we have our limitations and our flaws. Jesus has no such limitations, no such flaws. Never governed by his own selfish motives, always looking for the good of his sheep, always willing, as we'll talk about in a few moments, always willing to sacrifice for them. We've been studying Galatians in the, in the young people group on Wednesday nights in the youth group. And uh, one of the verses that we kind of breezed over the other day was this verse in chapter 4, verse 17. It says that the false teachers that were there sort of infiltrating the church in Galatia and spreading false messages, it says they eagerly seek you, not commendably, but because they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. You see, false teachers are, are so often in it for what they can get out of the sheep, out of the people. They, they want something for themselves. And as I said a moment ago, that, that is... That is natural to every single human leader other than Jesus. But this is an egregious example. This is an extreme example where these false apostles and false teachers were invading the church and leading people astray. And they were doing it just because they wanted followers for themselves. They wanted the sense of importance. They wanted that sense of people depending upon them or relying upon them. It was corrupt and that was... Sadly, all too often the case for God's people throughout their history. But Jesus is unlike them. He is fully reliable, fully trustworthy. He is a shepherd who protects his sheep with the purest of motives all the time. That picture of him as the door comes to mind again. We talked about that last week. He compares himself to the door. And, and we said that when the sheep would go back in in the evening, sometimes the, there would be no actual gate there. And that the shepherd himself would act like the gate or the door. He would sleep there in that place, sending the message, hey, if you're going to get to these sheep, you've got to come through me first. That picture of shielding the sheep, and Christ is our shield in so many ways, in all his provisions physically, but most importantly spiritually, and we'll talk more about that as well. But continuing on now, let's notice the next characteristic in terms of Jesus shepherding of his sheep, Jesus knows his sheep. Look with me at verse uh, 14. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For now, notice this idea of, of knowing, okay? This is the same word used of even a, a man's intimate relationship with his wife, that intimate knowledge, that relational knowledge, that relational experience. It has the idea of deep, deep connection. It's also used in the Old Testament with regard to God's knowledge of Israel, his special relationship with Israel. He, he knew, of course, everything there was to know about other nations as well, but there was a certain level of interaction with Israel. There was a certain preciousness in terms of Israel and their relationship with their God. So he knows his sheep. The, another a beautiful picture of this is the idea of Jesus being the door. I think we described this last week as well. But the shepherd would sometimes, when the sheep were coming back to the fold, would take his staff and block the entryway there so that he could examine each sheep one at a time. So that he could carefully look and inspect each sheep to know what its needs were. Did it need water? Did it have some kind of a wound that it needed to be tended to? 
Did it need some kind of discipline in some way? Did it need some kind of cleaning in some way? The shepherd would look carefully, inspect each sheep. And this paints a picture of God's knowledge of us, of Christ's knowledge of us. He knows us intimately. As I've said many times, he he knows us better than we know ourselves. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17 for a minute. We go back to another Old Testament prophetic passage here. Jeremiah 17, this is a familiar passage. But sometimes we catch part of the idea and maybe not the entire idea. So I want to show you something here that's remarkable. Jeremiah 17, familiar verse, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Familiar verse, this idea of the the complexity of the human heart. It's it's more wicked even than we realize. And, And it's beyond our capacity to fully understand. And it's certainly beyond our capacity to be able to do anything about. But notice verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. So God says, I understand. I search the heart. I test the mind. Speaks this idea of God even bringing out, drawing out that which we need drawn out. You could think of those sheep again. Something they need tended to. The shepherd knows that. And he's going to set his focus on that. So often in life, we can look back at maybe difficult seasons, painful seasons, seasons that when we were in the middle of them thought they were never going to end or thought it was just beyond our ability to handle. Something was happening. Something deep was going on. Extremely uncomfortable. And yet, looking back on it, so often we can say, you know what, I hated it when I was in that season. But now I realize the wisdom of God in bringing me through that season. I, I, now I see what he was up to. There was something that needed to happen in my life, in my heart, in my experiences, in my relationships, in my job, whatever. I had to go through something to acquaint me more deeply with my need and his provisions. With, with my hurt, with my wounds, often self-inflicted, sometimes inflicted by others, sometimes a combination of the two, but either way, Wounds that God needed to tend to, to show me more clearly who he is and what he's like, similar to the idea in John 15 of pruning. God knows what he's doing. He understands what he's up to. In fact, look ahead at verse 14, same passage in Jeremiah 17, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. You see that? where God knows what he's doing. Sometimes he harms us. I've heard that there are times when shepherds will even break the limb of their sheep. They need to render them disabled for some reason. There's times when they they inflict pain on the sheep and that seems like cruel. Why Why would he do that? But our Heavenly Father, our Good Shepherd, only harms in order to heal. Only does that which we need for our own healing of our hearts. That's what he's up to. He knows us and he's, he's not lazy in this regard. As uh, many of you know, we have a German shepherd at home. 
a German shepherd. And part of his wiring, part of his breed, is that he is watching us like every moment. There's times when he positions himself. Jill will be in the kitchen. I'll be in the living room. He positions himself sort of in the middle, and he puts his head down. His eyes just go back and forth. And it's kind of weird and creepy in a way, but also sweet and nice. But he's always watching us. And then we get up to leave the room, and it could be the whole family. Some, one person, one of my daughters, gets up and leaves the room, and he, he goes and watches. Where are you going? What are you doing? I mean, he's just always watching. It's just his wiring. He's just white on rice, right? He's just always attentive. Listen, if a, if a dog can be wired in such a way by our Creator, how much more can we trust His gaze in our lives? That He's always watching. He's always attending to us. He's not negligent. He's not preoccupied. He's not distracted. Though there be close to 8 billion people in the world right now, fully capable, knowing every one of us, intimate detail, knowing us better than we know ourselves, including knowing what we need in life better than we know what we need in life. And sometimes that's hard to swallow, but boy, can it be a comfort too. To know, wow, okay, maybe what I'm going through right now, maybe it's not just some season in the past, maybe it's right now. Maybe what I'm going through right now, God, you're up to something good. And you can be sure he's revealing to you his trustworthiness, that your sense of security is found in him, not anyone else, not anything else, not your job, not even your marriage, not even any other humanly admired or humanly valued. Really, it's all from him, that he's the good shepherd. He's teaching us that in some way, teaching us that he's more committed to our safekeeping, more committed to our nourishment even than we are. He's faithful. Verse 15 says, that the Father knows Christ, and He knows the Father. He's here describing the intimacy between Father and Son and how we are brought into that relationship, which is amazing, marvelous in the truest sense of the word. It's a marvel that God welcomes us into that relationship. Though we be just sheep, we are to Him precious sheep. We are valuable sheep. We are loved sheep. We are cared for sheep. And He brings us into that relationship, and He says there are others who will come into this fold And he's referring here, of course, to Gentiles, non-Jewish people that he will save, that he will draw to God. The other directionless, defenseless, dependent, dirty, dumb sheep out there, and the world is filled with them, right? We are one, and there are many out there. And he is bringing them in, drawing them to Christ. That's what this is referring to. Well, the final characteristic of Christ as good shepherd here is the idea that he sacrifices for his sheep. Sacrifices for his sheep. Read with me verse 17 and following. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. We'll stop there. That's the third and fourth time that he's mentioned the idea of laying down his life. It's in verse 11, verse 15, and here in verse 17 and verse 18. This idea of of Christ laying down his life for his sheep, sacrificing for his sheep. Highlights two main realities here. One, that he does so voluntarily and purposefully. He says, no one has taken it away from me. That is to say, he's not like overpowered by someone, though 
humanly it appears that way, and he allows himself to be led like a lamb to slaughter. You know that phrase? He does. He allows himself to be led that way, like a lamb to slaughter. But it's fully within his sovereign control. It is something that he permits to happen. Could not happen if he and the Father did not permit it. So it is voluntary. It is purposeful. It is also something that he is in control of to the point where he can take his life back up. He says, I take it up again. And this, of course, pointing to his resurrection, that he will rise from the dead. Even when the worst happens to him, when he is sacrificed, executed, it's not the end. He will rise from the dead. And it's somewhat implicit here, but this is this amazing biblical concept, and there's so often Scripture does this in amazing fashion where it has like a a mixed metaphor where, where Christ is both the shepherd, but simultaneously He is also a sheep. So He's our leader, He's over us, He's above us, and yet He becomes one of us to experience what we experience, to be tempted and tried in all the ways that we're tempted and tried, yet without sin. He's the lamb without blemish, spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And he did so willingly. He laid his life down. And he did so for us, sheep who are often um, rebellious and foolish and uh, who, who fight against sometimes our shepherd. Romans 5 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing love, particularly when we're aware of our sin and the depths of it and the darkness of it, and he gave everything for us. In fact, it's, it says he laid down his life. It's, it's literally the word soul. He laid down his soul, held nothing back for us to be rescued. His whole life, his whole ministry was one of giving and serving, giving and serving sinners, giving and serving people who so frequently didn't even want anything to do with him, so frequently disrespecting him, ignoring him, using him, seeking to in some way exploit him. I mean, even still, he just serves and gives and serves and gives and serves and gives tirelessly. It is remarkable. It is amazing. It is something only God could do. And this is God the Son, the Good Shepherd. From his very conception to the cross, it is all a ministry of serving, of sacrifice, of giving. And it's such a contrast to our human tendencies. For years ago, hearing uh, Ted Tripp, maybe some of you have heard of Ted Tripp. He's a biblical counselor, pastor, author. And uh, I heard him speaking, and he's talking about the topic of marriage and how our spouse is the most important person to us and how God calls us to sacrifice for our spouse. And he was describing the, the dissonance that often goes on within himself regarding that, just in an honest moment. And I, I remember he talked about one night, carrying bowls of ice cream up to his wife. They were going to have some ice cream right before bed, which is always smart, right? Some of us like to do that, myself included. So he's carrying these bowls of ice cream, and he describes going up the stairs and carefully weighing in each hand to see which one was the heaviest, having the most ice cream so that he could grant his wife the other one. These little moments, these little honest moments of just, yes, I'm, boy, I am that selfish. And we have a Savior who just lays it down, sacrifices, gives of himself, 
to the last breath, to the last drop of blood shed for us. And like those sheep, you know, what, what can they offer? I mean, could the sheep offer protection to the shepherd? No. Could the sheep offer direction to the shepherd? No. Could, could the shepherd depend upon the sheep? No. No, it's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. Sheep always depending upon the shepherd. And I think that too is a picture of the grace of the shepherd serving us. Even, you think of sheep, okay, there's wool. That's a benefit to the shepherd. Take that wool and maybe sell it, make a profit off of it. And so you could carry out that analogy and say, okay, there's a sense in which God obviously has called us into ministry in all different capacities, whatever our position in life is as moms and wives and dads and husbands and workers and students in school and members of the community, all these different areas. And yet even in that, just like with the sheep, everything was taken care of and tended to by the shepherd and even the harvesting of the wool and the preparing of it and all of that. It was all the shepherd's care in the life of that sheep. Sheep would never be so audacious as to take credit for that industry, (laughs) would he? Similarly with us, God is rendering us fruitful, doing good things. He's before ordained good works that we would walk in them. We are confident, it says in Philippians 1, 6, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us will complete it. He's up to good things, and he gets all the credit for it. And we get to be sheep, cared for by our shepherd. We began talking about the amazing strength of God back there in Isaiah 40, and how the whole world's created by God, and he is at every moment, superintending every aspect of his creation, his sovereignty, the scope of that, his knowledge, his power, how magnificent God is and all that. We begin with his, his obvious strength, but now we've been kind of concluding on this note of apparent weakness of a lamb led to slaughter, sacrifice, being Seemingly beaten, being seemingly conquered by his enemies. Not, not the picture of victory that we're acquainted with usually. But yet even as he goes before those who would try him, even as he submits to the execution, the, the scourging, and the crucifixion, even in this apparent loss or what seems to be a loss, there is the greatest victory of all secured, isn't there? The, the greatest victory historically, of all time, the greatest victory secured there because he's in that moment on the cross as the lamb without blemish, sacrifice for us. He is providing for us to be in relationship with our God forever, for all of our sins to be forgiven, for us to be assured that we belong to him, that we are in his fold, and we will forever be in his fold. We will never be out of his fold. He will never lose track of us, that he has us, and he will always have. And the cross declares that to us. It says that to us even as he says, it is finished. All that is necessary for us to know that we are in those good hands. Conquering our biggest problem. We can can accomplish things naturally speaking, physically, academically, professionally. Most of us have and we can be grateful for that. We can do a great deal in this world. But isn't it true 
that spiritually speaking, we are just like those sheep, so often led astray, so often turning to our own way, so often deceived, not even realizing the depths of the sin that's within our own hearts, just aware of a little fraction of it, not even aware of all of it, so often foolish. And even naturally speaking, all it takes, isn't this true, all it takes is just like one bad day at the office or at home. One bad conversation, one bad text message or phone call, one bad visit to the doctor. It's all it takes for us to be acquainted in a moment with our fragility, with our utter dependence, with our defenseless nature. It is true. We are small, we're creatures, we're sheep, but we have a good shepherd who loves us, who is with us, who is attending to us every moment, times when we sense it, even the times when we don't, nevertheless committed to us, and that is good news. Let's pray and give thanks for this message, and then we'll partake of communion together. Father, thank you for your word and its description of Christ, our Savior, our Good Shepherd. Thank you for this comparison, this metaphor that you call us sheep, helps us to understand a little better what we're like, puts us in our place, humbles us, and we need that, God. We need that. Thank you for Christ's coming. Thank you for his leadership, his guidance. Thank you for his protection. Thank you for his knowledge of us and the intimacy of that knowledge. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for everything that you've accomplished for us to know your grace and your mercy, to know new life in relationship with you, new life with forgiveness of sins and reconciliation. Those who are redeemed, cared for by you. Thank you, God. Be with us now as we spend a few moments taking communion together. Help us to, to not lose the, the profound nature of what this represents in the routine of it. Help us to reflect on the essence of the communion that Christ had with his disciples on that final night. Help us to relive that moment and to do so in a way that grips us once again with how unworthy we are and, and how, how worthy you are of worship for all that you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen.